Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Dr. Edmundo Luna, who is an associate professor in the School of Humanities at Kyushu University. Very nice to speak to you today. Thank you very much, Chris. The paper we're going to be speaking about is Language Contact in Virtual Spaces, the kin terms Blee, Bro and Boss in Balinese Online Discourse. And I've been wanting to speak to you for quite a while because whenever we get into this kind of conversation, you always have the most fascinating anecdotes about language. And it's it's one of the mm. privileges to work with people who have as much of a love for language uh, that I do, but could you give us a little bit of a background into your interest and your specifically your research interest in Balinese? Okay, so I wonder if you if we can go all the way back to when I was in third grade because that it actually starts from there. So when I was in third grade, uh, there was a um, well a music graduate student who did a presentation for my elementary school. And so he presented about the music, the dance, and just the performing arts culture of Bali. And he had his Balinese colleague with him. They did like a, an hour's long worth of a presentation. And I have to say, if his goal was to somehow attract the attention of one of those kids uh, at the, uh, during that day, during that um, little assembly, uh, he succeeded because I became that kid. So uh, fast forward, let's say four years later, uh, I'm at a, a sort of like a performing arts and creative arts high school uh, in the area where I grew up in San Diego. And so one of my art teachers says to me, and she knew of, of my sort of obsession with Balinese culture up to this point. And she said to me, hey, Ed, um, I'm going to see a gamelan group. I'm going to see a Balinese uh, gamelan music ensemble uh, that weekend. So, and I, I asked her if she could note down like any sort of contact information. And so uh, she went to the concert and she came back and she said, uh, yes, I do have some contact information uh, for you. So she gave me the information and it was a, it, it was uh, the number of uh, the late professor, uh, Dr. Robert Brown, who did teach at uh, San Diego State uh, University where that uh, music graduate student came from. Uh, so I called him up and uh, I said to him, well, I, this might sound sort of uh, weird, but I'm uh, sort of at, uh, I'm a middle schooler and I want to participate in any sort of like music rehearsals if that's possible. And uh, he said, uh, sure, if you can get here uh, during our rehearsal times. And um, well, they had uh, two ensembles. So they had the Balinese Gamelan Ensemble, which met on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays and uh, the Javanese Gamma Ensemble, which met on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And um, I could only get to the area maybe like twice uh, a week at most. So I thought, okay, um, I'm thinking about the, uh, the Balinese uh, performing ensemble. And so he gives me the, uh, the number for the um, uh, the Balinese teacher, and uh, I get there, I get to the rehearsal, and I meet uh, Made Lasmawan, who has been one of my mentors for, uh, well, I'm 43, so uh, almost 30 years now. So um, yeah, he and I hit it off really well, and uh, I became the youngest member of his group, of his uh, musical ensemble. And so, um, I was there uh, at the music, on, uh, music ensemble for a couple of years. And then he, uh, last moment, moved away to Colorado where he's still teaching. And um, well, uh, basically whenever I've um, been studying, uh, let's say Balinese gamelan, uh, Balinese performing arts, 
So there is an angle that uh, the Balinese language is not far behind because you have to understand uh, a lot of these concepts. And uh, a lot of these Balinese teachers, when they teach you these concepts, they are going to use, uh, let's say, indigenous Balinese terms for them. And you just have to sort of think about uh, what are, you know, how can we sort of translate those into just plain English? Uh, and, uh, but after a while, you just hear terms over and over again uh, in the appropriate context. And then you, you think that, well, uh, okay, I, I've internalized it now. And uh, that has sort of driven my interests to get into uh, studying Balinese language. So when I uh, went to university at UC Berkeley, uh, I became a linguistics major. And I really wanted to at least do uh, like a thesis on uh, about something on Balinese language. And uh, so I did it on, uh, well, the articulation of S in uh, particular uh, circumstances because um, Balinese along with, let's say, Javanese and uh, the related, well, those are related languages. Uh, so uh, Javanese and uh, Indonesian even. So they have this sort of weird um, morphosyntactic or morphological change where you have sort of like this uh, uh, active nasal prefix, which is mung. And most people uh, sort of uh, write it out as M-E-N-G, but mung, but uh, that nasal is, uh, uh, well, it's homoorganic. Homo so it uh, assimilates to the place of the following consonant. However, with S, which is, well, in most cases that would be alveolar, it does not become alveolar. Rather, instead, because it's the only sibilant in those languages uh, besides, uh, well, it's the only sibilant, sibilant, uh, um, let's say, fricative, uh, then that changes not to n, but to nya, a palatal nasal. So I wondered, you know, it, is there something, let's say phonetically that is still existent? Is there some, uh, somehow, let's, let's say a difference between uh, the way that they pronounce S and then the way that let's say an English speaker pronounces S. And so I set about to do this and uh, to tell you the truth, in the end, it didn't really turn out as I had sort of expected. However, there are lots of, let's say, historical arguments that, uh, because there are uh, other uh, Austronesian branches which show similar changes, like in Chamorro, uh, you have a, a similar, let's say, M to Nya uh, sort of change before S. Uh, so I thought maybe it's like a sort of like a historical sort of effect, a historical artifact that um, probably the, that uh, distinction is now lost. And you just have like S uh, versus all these other, let's say, alveolar uh, sounds. And, um, and then when you put the uh, active prefix on these forms, then you get N for the true alveolars, and then for S, then you get Nya. Um, and then, uh, so if I can keep going, uh, so uh, going on from there, like um, I went on to grad school, so MA, PhD program over at UC Santa Barbara, and I did my MA on um, uh, Balinese numeral classifiers and their functions in narrative discourse, so like folk tales and such. And um, th that was quite interesting uh, because, uh, so there's a little bit of, uh, let's say, reference tracking uh, that goes on with numeral classifiers in Balinese. Uh, now, uh, you and I know, let's say, a little bit about Japanese. They also use numeral classifiers. Uh, and yet, I don't know whether, uh, like, uh, they have sort of like a similar or even uh, like the same, uh, like, range of reference tracking functions. Uh, well, um, just, just to make the point about uh, numeral classifiers, it's it. 
in in languages that don't have uh, plurals, you want to right. find a way to uh, to keep track of the number of things. So in Japanese, you you might count something that is flat or something that is cylindrical or something that uh, uh, there are different counters for those without having the the plural s plural marker yeah, yeah. Uh, now uh, because you have marked it with that numeral classifier can that uh, object can that reference then be kept track you know later on uh, in the discourse uh, because in, in Balinese folk tales, you could start off with, let's say, um, uh, let's see, adiri, which means like a person, like one person. And then uh, that would sort of mark that particular referent as something to really pay attention to hmm. throughout this narrative. Uh, and we also see, let's say, well, a socially discerning uh, sort of use of the classifier ukud, which is usually used to mark animals, but it can also be used to either mark servants or children. So those who are sort of outside the circle of, let's say, royals or like uh, anyone with any sort of uh, noble or, uh, let's say, uh, refined or a dignified sort of status. Is that is that in a in a in a general sense or in a kind of rhetorical sense? If you're if you're telling the story that you would uh, mark people who are outside of, of that group, you'd do that rhetorically. Uh, well, I mean, it sort of marks them as um, it sort of marks them as important that you will have to keep track of that referent. However, because you've used the classifier for uh, animals, ukud, mm. so that automatically uh, sort of, uh, it also marks that they are somewhat of a lower social status. Well, this, this kind of, it, it draws us into another question that I was, I was going to ask you, but uh, when we're talking about Balinese, we're not talking about a small language community. I mean, you know in the paper that it's about three and a half million people who who use it, and then when you expand it to Javanese and and to and to uh, other places as well, this is not a small speech community. Um, is is your connection to it mostly in terms of research, or do you have any uh, family history or connection to it? Well, I wish I did have family history. However, uh, I do have plenty of close friends that I have mm. considered mm. rather close family, and I've built that up uh, over the past, let's say, 30 years, uh, you know, since uh, uh, from my first encounter with uh, Patlas Malan, who was my first sort of uh, Balinese contact, and then I, I met up with his family, I've stayed with his family several times, and uh, my uh, sort of social circle in, um, in Bali has, it's still expanding, and um, the, the thing is, uh, with the Balinese, um, uh, let's say, speaking community itself, and uh, this is something that I noted back in 2012, and probably it's a bit more pronounced now because it is like almost 10 years later. Uh, how, so back in 2012, when I, was, when I went there, so, and I got out of the airport, um, I, and then I hired, let's say, a local driver to bring me to the hotel, and he had his son sitting with him, and uh, I wanted to introduce myself to the son, and so I just said to him, you know, so this means like, uh, what, hey, what's your name? And uh, the, the father uh, apologized to me, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, he doesn't really speak Balinese. And I just, it, it just sort of blew my mind because like uh, other kids, let's say elsewhere in Bali, they would immediately uh, like react to and uh, just be sort of jazzed that like a foreigner is here like speaking Balinese with them. Uh, but uh, the father said, yeah, he, he's not, he, he doesn't speak Balinese. He only speaks Indonesian. 
And I sort of asked the father, like, why, uh, why are you speaking to him just in Indonesian? And he said, well, I want him to take advantage uh, of uh, the situation at school because Indonesian, of course, is the language of uh, education and uh, government right. in Indonesia. Right. Uh, whereas uh, the local language is pretty much used for uh, everything else. And I asked uh, the father like uh, where the family was from, and he said, oh, we live in Denpasar, so, which is the main city, the main uh, sort of provincial capital of Bali. So the main urban center. And it's, I mean, uh, this may be an anecdote, and I think probably there are people who have done, let's say, surveys and such. Uh, but it, and I think uh, like you see this in other areas of Indonesia as well. But in Bali, uh, especially with respect to that urban center of Denpasar, uh, so you have many more families that are teaching their children directly in Indonesian and not wanting them to acquire uh, sort of like the local language, uh, Balinese, like even within their home. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, how much has your personal interest in the Barney's language allowed you to kind of connect with uh, the community and, and, and assist your research? Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's uh, connected uh, quite a lot uh, just because uh, not only am I in there, uh, sort of like as a language researcher, but I can also participate in other venues as well. So I, I've done, uh, let's say music, so I can sort of uh, communicate musically. Uh, I, can, uh, I can also do, uh, let's say Balinese dance. I've also learned uh, Balinese dance as well. So I can also uh, like contribute to the community in these uh, sort of venues called Nayah which is, so Naya is sort of like a devotional service to the community. So uh, during festivals, like, uh, you know, b before this uh, whole pandemic uh, uh, situation became rampant. So if I were in Bali uh, and if people really wanted to see like, or they wanted me to contribute something, I could say to them, well, I could play in the, uh, let's say, musical ensemble. Uh, just tell me like uh, what you guys are planning on playing. And sometimes it would just sort of be like on the fly. But where, 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 uh, did you, where did you learn that? Oh, uh, so I, I learned it with my Balinese teacher, my first Balinese teacher, Pat uh, Lasmalan, uh, back at San Diego State. So yeah, so this goes all the way back to that moment in middle school. Uh, so I started learning like Balinese music with him, uh, Balinese gamelan, and also Balinese dance. And, uh, you know, later on down the road, I also studied with uh, plenty of other teachers. It's sort of like, I, I find myself, okay, am I a musician? But sometimes I can play all sorts of angles, uh, especially when I'm in these communities. So mm. uh, sort of presenting myself, not only as a researcher, uh, but I can also provide to you, like, uh, you know, contribute to your community in this, these other ways as well. And I well think that's well, really important. Well, let's start talking about communities and let's, and let's uh, go into the paper as well, because the, the paper that we're talking about is Balinese online discourse mm. and uh, kinship terms, uh, blee, bro, and boss and, and also uh, you mentioned uh, the pandemic uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, background to the people who are listening uh, Edmundo was going to be the first in-studio interview unfortunately uh, we have had to put that on on hold while we we ride out uh, this wave of uh, cases of COVID but I very much look forward to uh, speaking to you in person in the future the the paper that we're, we're looking at is online communication in Balinese. Yes. And how did this, um, given your you know, connection to the community personally, how did mm. online discourse kind of uh, suggest itself to you as a, as a vector of, uh, of research? A vector of research. 
Uh, yeah, so this, I think this stems from uh, when I was based in South Korea. So I had worked in, uh, at a South Korean uh, national university uh, for about seven years. And uh, so when I was employed there, uh, they had some very severe restrictions as to, oh, well, you can't really go to your field site uh, every year just because like the, uh, the system, the, the university itself uh, will not condone that. So I'm like, okay, uh, what do I do now? So I decided to look around and I saw a lot of, let's say, Balinese language uh, online forums, especially in the case of Kaskus. So Kaskus is an online forum uh, primarily meant for Indonesian consumers. And, uh, you, and on that forum itself, so it's a huge, let's say, umbrella uh, sort of organization. And uh, under this forum, you can find uh, various communities uh, that speak uh, various languages uh, in Indonesia. Uh, so one of them, uh, which is the, uh, let's say, Adat Bali, I, I believe uh, that's the name of the forum, that is specifically geared towards uh, use and uh, uh, those who speak Balinese. So I decided to look on there and uh, that's how really I got into um, looking at online discourse uh, for Balinese language, just because uh, that uh, my circumstances back then did not really allow me to go back and forth uh, to do, uh, let's say field research. So in a sense, this is uh, sort of like another type of field research. Uh, and through virtual means. And, and you, you chose the kinship terms bli, which is usually used for an older brother, bro, yeah. which is mm -hmm. a kinship term for uh, a close, uh, someone someone who, you, who you're speaking to, who you, you feel that kind of closeness to, and right. then boss, who it, that might be a term of uh, power dynamic, but also you note that it could be used in a in a in a humorous aspect as well. Uh, in a humorous or sort of a, like a ridiculed, uh, uh, ridicule-filled uh, manner. So, so what, what was it about these three terms that kind of stood out to you? Well, why these three particular kin terms? Because they are so prevalent. Uh, so you notice this. Uh, even if you're listening to like a, a couple of Balinese uh, speak to each other. So if they happen to be, let's say young men and uh, you will hear them use like blee, bro, and sometimes boss, if it's, let's say uh, another person that comes in, they'll, uh, they'll refer, they'll sometimes refer to that guy as a boss, uh, depending on what the uh, power dynamics mm. are mm. In, in that case. Um, but you just hear this like all over the place. And it, you also see this like uh, in online communication as well. And I use this uh, like, especially Blee. Blee is sort of like the, the most prevalent of these three uh, kin terms uh, because uh, like with any sort of other uh, young male, sort of like, uh, Perceivably, perceivably, let's say my age, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older. So there's a little bit of, uh, uh, well, a little bit of a margin that we can allow, especially in these cases, uh, like online, where, where unless it has your birth date and, you know, these uh, forums don't really list birth dates, uh, you can't really tell like who is actually older than you are. Uh, so it, it's better to err on, uh, on that side and refer to them as blee, like being older, rather than like insult them, uh, let's say unintentionally by referring them uh, to, you know, as sort of like a, a first name basis or even like Adi, which is like younger, younger sibling. Well, I mean, to, to use the numbers from your, from your study, like 63% of the, the kinship terms were um, honorific to the, to the older brother, as you say. And mm -hmm. I mean, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just take an example 
for me to under, understand. I'm 40, you're 43. But if we were communicating, we didn't know how much older one was than the other. And I agree with my lack of hair and my and my growth of beard. You might term me blee just I, as a I form would, of respect. I, yes. So okay. I would I would term you blee just because I could sort of see if we were just meeting for the first time, I could see you as being within, let's say, the same age bracket as me. Right, right. And uh, unless you were to say, well, I'm actually this old, and then we would uh, sort of shift uh, from that point. No, but, I, would, I, would, uh, I would agree. Only, only seeing a picture just... of me. Yeah, I, I've, had a, I've had a tough life, Edmundo. It's, <laughs> it's, been, it's been pretty rough. Um, I, I, one of the questions that I wanted to have for you, one of the things that you used as a way of analysis was the form of the joke. Right. And from your understanding of the culture, do you think that the Balinese is uh, is a culture that embraces, respects, needs that kind of joke? Are, are they are they a culture that that enjoys this use of language? Yes, yes, <laughs> they are a very joke centric culture. So whenever you get uh, let, let's say a bunch of Balinese around. And even in the, let's say, the most trying of times, even in the, let's say, the, the weirdest of times, so let's say at a funeral or something like that, you're, you're going to come across, uh, let's say, a, a, a small group of people that are just talking to each other, and then suddenly they're like telling jokes to each other. And this is just to offset sort of like the, the gravity of the situation even during, let's say, funerals, even, uh, and then that would lead to, let's say, later cremation. And so cremations are really supposed to be rame and happy. So uh, like boisterous activity filled uh, sort of uh, activity. So they are far from being solemn. Hmm. Uh, so if you've ever been to a Balinese cremation, uh, like I've been to a couple of them, uh, you have like marching bands, and uh, like people carrying the, uh, the uh, well, the sarcophagi and the big, uh, let's say, body, which is uh, sort of like this cremation tower. And uh, the, uh, I, I would say like the more royal that person was, the, the higher the body can get. Like a couple, a few years ago when, uh, let's say, a few royal uh, personnel, a few royal, uh, let's say, persons, uh, they, passed away from the Royal Ubud court, um, their, uh, their cremations were just lavish. There were lavish productions, like thousands, thousands of people uh, on that day. And uh, just the preparations going to these uh, cremations uh, were uh, sort of painstaking and uh, they were extensive. Uh, so they they really depend on uh, humor to uh, even in the most basic of uh, communications. Uh, like uh, if you know how to joke in Balinese, you'll 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 get a long way. So they don't really like serious people too much. Well, this is kind of where I wanted to get to because oftentimes uh, Americans, such as yourself, will say that. British people are sarcastic and, and quite uh, dry in their humor, mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. Americans might prefer to have a more in-your-face, direct kind of humor. What is the Balinese humor? Like, how does it manifest itself? Ah, Balinese humor. Uh, so there's a lot of language play that goes into uh, Balinese humor. And um, I know that, uh, let's say in Japanese, there there used to be a lot of language play-based humor. Oh, yeah. Uh, gag. yeah, like a like a, a what would like a oji gag, ojisan yeah. gag. Yeah, uh, but that seems to be age graded. Whereas in Balinese, that sort of humor is highly appreciated by all levels of society. Uh, so, and not only does it. Uh, Sometimes it requires you to know more than one language. Mm. So uh, I, I once heard this really brilliant, uh, let's say, Balinese and Indonesian joke uh, from a, uh, a masked uh, topeng play, uh, like a, a, 
quite a quite a while ago, uh, like about 15 years ago. So uh, when I did uh, my dissertation sort of research uh, there. Uh, but I remember one of the clowns was saying that, oh, uh, he had just heard about this sakit lilipi. So uh, sakit lilipi means like um, uh, a snake disease. And uh, his brother, the other clown just responded back, uh, uh, so what is the snake disease? And then uh, the first brother says, Manular, and uh, which means infection in, in Indonesian. So it's not, and Manular, uh, so that Ular sounds like snake, Ula, uh, uh, snake in Indonesian. So it's a highly, let's say, intricate. It's layered. Uh, sort of, it's very layered. It's very layered. And this is the sort of thing that goes on all the time in uh, so, so this how, conversation. How, in, 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 in Bali, and uh, are, they, uh, are they trilingual? Are they, they Balinese and Indonesian, English, Javanese speakers? Well, like how much? Uh, I would say most uh, Balinese speakers are bilingual, at least mm. bilingual. So uh, Balinese, of course, uh, learned at the home, and then Indonesian learned in school and for government functions. And a lot of them have uh, also learned English, mm. uh, you know, and uh, some other languages too, like um, I would say like uh, Japanese, some, some have learned Japanese. So it's, it's, a, it's a highly, let's say, multilingual society. And so, given given your background in in, in multiple languages, Balinese, uh, uh, Javanese, uh, and uh, English, Japanese, how well can you kind of join in the the, the badinage that apparently is is so crucial to their uh, to their kind of cultural interactions? Ah, uh, well, um, if I I mean at this point now, my spoken Balinese is. Uh, let's say a little bit rusty just because I haven't been able to really practice it uh, with anybody here. Uh, and uh, that's not for a lack of trying. It's just that most of the Indonesians who are here uh, end up being, let's say, Javanese, hmm. or they are, uh, let's say, from Sulawesi. Uh, I haven't, I mean, I know that there are a few Balinese here in Japan right now, uh, but I think they live mostly either in the Osaka or Tokyo areas. Uh, so I don't know of any, any that are actually here in Fukuoka. But if you got me to a, let's say, a Balinese speaking context, and you just sort of left me there for, I would say, uh, given a couple, a few days or something, mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. really get back into it. Tune back in. Yeah. But um, if you were, if you wanted me to sort of speak, ba I mean, I could speak Balinese, but it would be rather uh, kasar or uh, rough or low Balinese uh, rather than the uh, sort of nider, uh, madia, or the alus, uh, the more refined levels that uh, this sort of context would sort of require. So, well, if you could crack a joke, I think they'd forgive you for that. Uh, the <laughs> Uh, I'd like to ask you about your research methodologies because uh, you note uh, in your paper, obviously you're, you're dealing with uh, online interactions and uh, this was a way of you being able to collect data. But while we were discussing this interview, you also sent to me a Twitter presentation that you yes. made. So uh, the use of online spaces, is, th is this something that is, is helping facilitate your research? At least um, for my purposes, I would say yes, uh, just because otherwise uh, I would just sort of uh, have stood stagnant uh, in terms of uh, language data. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, because uh, with my dissertation data, so I, uh, I did, uh, let's say, um, village council uh, interactions. And so that re re requires another, let's say, type of analysis. And uh, because everything is pretty much spoken in either middle or high register or high, high speech style Balinese. 
And so with uh, like online, uh, this online language data, uh, this was simply another way to sort of get back into the field and uh, sort of think uh, and sort of see like, okay, what else have I, have I not uh, discovered yet? Or what else uh, can I sort of uh, consider here uh, taking a look at this data? And uh, so I uh, just uh, took off with it and, uh, you know, and uh, with the uh, organization that um, sponsored that uh, Twitter conference. So this 12 tweet uh, Twitter conference. Uh, so I am a board member of uh, WIELD. So that is the West Western Institute of Endangered Language Documentation. And so this was started up by uh, my good friends, uh, let's say Alex Walker, Oldis Balotis, uh, Tim Henry, and uh, well, uh, and one other person who was not part of the um, UC Santa Barbara sort of uh, clique that we were all, let's say, a, a big part of. Uh, so these were, uh, so that organization was started up by uh, my colleagues and I came uh, a little bit later on. So, but now I'm one of the board members and uh, I have uh, participated in that, uh, well, the, uh, the two sessions that they've had for this uh, Twitter conference. Well, if you don't mind, I'd I'd like to link to that in the in the show notes because uh, I really did and enjoyed. And I also I liked the idea of trying to connect to people with research during this time of of limited contact. So, yes. Uh, if that's okay, I'll I'll put that in the show notes for people to to go and take a look at, and also your your colleagues as well. Um, yes, please. I'd like to. Uh, touch on the the use of boss mm. um particularly i'll just i'll just read from the paper here uh, the use of the explicitly higher status boss is meant to ridicule their targets when it is used with more obscene lexical items such as and em off the kids at this one masturbate and shit yes so uh, and tai so uh, masturbate and shit and, and um yeah, that one what really took me by surprise a little bit. Like, uh, it, just, took my, it took my surprise reading it. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, Thai is a pretty, let's say, uh, well, it's a pretty frequent uh, sort of uh, obscene lexical item in Balinese discourse. Mm -hmm. But Ngochut, Ngochut is sort of, uh, I mean, I had to look that one up uh, let's say on an online dictionary mm. because it did not like make any sense to me when I first read that. It wasn't, it wasn't in your first 3000 words. Learned. No, 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 <laughs> no. And, um, well, Wuchut actually refers to the way that Balinese folks shuffle cards, their traditional, mm. uh, let's say dim or the domino cards or their, uh, chiki cards which are another uh, sort of like a mahjong related mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. game. Uh, but uh, so it sort of looks like this. Uh, so uh, to, to, for, for people who are, who are not watching the video on this one, there's, there's, there's kind of there's, this, this picking involved. Yeah, there, there's, there's <laughs> a little bit of picking and sort of like uh, sort of pecking. Uh, yeah, there, there's, mm. there's a pecking. So you hold your, uh, you hold the pile of cards in, uh, one of your hands, and then you sort of shuffle them by taking uh, uh, like the, the middle of it and then uh, sort of um, uh, taking that middle portion and then putting it on top uh, and then you squeeze the ends together. So this is pretty graphic. It, it's, it's, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite suggestive. It's quite suggestive. And so when I thought about it, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Now right. that I, now I see why they, uh, uh sort of, um, and, 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 did it, and did it, and did it make sense that they would associate this euphemism with something that's supposed to be a term of, of a higher power dynamic? Like this is a, this, this was specifically a use euphemism connected to boss. Right. Right. I, I, I mean, 
it was just in the data that, that I had. Mm. Uh, probably, uh, probably you could find it with mentions of Lee and uh, uh, other. Let's say, well, uh, with uh, Bro, maybe, maybe uh, partic, and then definitely with Lee. Uh, but that was the only that was the only token that I had of that. So, well, are, are they? Uh, uh, let's let's ask the question this way: Are the Balinese socially stratified, or do they feel free to move within these uh, positions if they're in a situation, for example, online where they can change their register fairly easily? That's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. Uh, well, um, one would have to really adjust uh, for these registers, these speech styles. If they are uh, interacting with a person who uh, they don't know yet, they don't know of their caste, mm -hmm. uh, be because uh, Balinese society is, it's a traditionally Hindu society. Mm -hmm. So they also have a version of the caste system. Mm -hmm. And that is very sensitive to the ways that you use uh, these uh, different uh, speech styles. Uh, so, and uh, you obviously do not want to be uh, scolded for using the incorrect uh, speech style with someone, especially if it's like a person who has just come onto the scene. Uh, so that's why it's much better to be a bit more uh, respectful and a bit more distance. Uh, so you would use like the higher uh, sort of speech styles. However, if you find out that you're at like a, a similar, um, uh, let's say cast levels, or if you are the sort of person that doesn't mind so much that, uh, you know, if, you, if you've known, uh, let's say this group for a, a long period of time, then you could uh, sort of adjust to where you're speaking more, let's say, biasa or low speech style. What 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 would what would be your position as uh, someone? Would you be given a little bit more freedom to explore these linguistic spaces, or would they assume, as a student of the language, that you would know which uh, uh, power dynamic you should uh, address each person? Yeah, and for me coming in as a foreigner hmm. um they really don't know where to place me uh <laughs> because um like uh whenever i stay at uh, the village where my first uh, my first uh, Balinese gamelan teacher uh hmm. came from if i stay in their village they're pretty much all uh let's say biasa speakers they're they're pretty much all let's say low Balinese speakers uh, except in the cases where I would have to speak to, let's say, a priest, the lay priest, the pamanku. Uh, if I needed to speak to him, then I would need to speak in uh, at least, let's say, a middle Balinese level. However, if I were to go to the village where I did my dissertation work, which is a completely different village, uh, several tens of kilometers away, mm -hmm. um, then, uh, because there is uh, much more diversity in terms of the, uh, uh, the caste uh, distinctions there, um, they uh, obviously, you need, you need to be a bit more sensitive to uh, mm. the linguistic demands of each sort of situation. And you can only get that by inquiring about their names. And so uh, the names give you the clearest clues as to like what their, uh, their caste level is. And I just sort of assume that, yeah, I'm coming in as sort of like a, a low caste individual in those cases. And, and do, they, do they kind of respond to that? of like, hey, here's Edmundo. He's, uh, he, he's going to be using low caste markers and... We're not going to expect well, that much I, from him or like they, they, they know you at this point. So maybe they expect a little more of you. Well, uh, when I first started my research, they really took me aside. They <laughs> took me aside and said, OK, so you're in our village now. It, right. We're a bit more sensitive to these matters. So this is how you should sort of respond 
uh, when uh, someone uh, walks up to you and asks you uh, like these questions and this is what they mean. And uh, yeah, it was an entirely, uh, let's say different way of communicating, communicating with them as opposed to uh, my teacher's village in uh, the uh, uh, other location. Completely different uh, way of communicating and thinking about uh, like how to uh, custom, how to form uh, my message just so uh, that they feel, let's say comfortable with addressing me and I felt comfortable with it. So it's a whole, uh, whole, let's say learning process for me. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I, I'd like to ask you a little bit, uh, kind of a, in, a, in a wider context about, uh, obviously Balinese with over 3 million speakers, it's not on the verge of being lost, but we do you know, worry about languages that are not uh, widely spoken outside of a, a geographical context about losing them uh, somewhere down the line. Uh, what uh, concerns do you have about Balinese Javanese being potentially lost in the future and, and, and what, what's being done to preserve them? Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, about Balinese, so, you know, so when I responded to that uh, prompt about, uh, let's say 2012, so that was sort of like the, the first time that I began to think, oh, maybe, ba even though you have, you still have, let's say, three million speakers, maybe it is being threatened, and mm. uh, you know, due to let's say this uh, dominating uh, language of Indonesian, and uh, so, of course, it sort of starts out from the urban centers, and then sort of spreads out. Uh, but I think of, at this point, probably it is still sort of centered around Denpasar. Uh, and I haven't heard, uh, let's say, much about um, the loss of Balinese in other locales. Uh, but then, um, let's say, uh, let, uh, let's say like Yanyar or like, a, because there are, uh, let's say, Regency capitals as well. Mm -hmm. And those are sort of like secondary, uh, let's say, urban centers. Uh, however, I don't see sort of like the the or the shift, the loss or the shift into in Indonesian as you do see in Denpasar. Um, so maybe it still has some time. Uh, however, what concerns me is that uh, by the time that Indonesian does become a major or does become, let's say, a prominent threat or a threat to really notice, then it might already be a bit too late for Balinese. So uh, that's the thing about a lot of these, let's say, endangered language programs, uh, is that they only they they say, okay, we we want sort of uh, proposals that uh, you know try to address the issues uh, facing, let's say, severely endangered languages. Uh, however, there isn't so much for languages that are clearly threatened, mm. but the numbers don't really show it. Right. And I mean, so, when you have several million users of a language, it doesn't seem in imminent threat. I think the the difficulty, as you as you note, is is the geography. When something becomes geographically isolated, right, then that's when it can rapidly decline when people leave that location and mm -hmm. no longer need to to use the language do you think that uh you know given that this is something that you're investigating do you think that the online discourse is something that is maintaining its long-term use or threatening it i think i i think ultimately it's uh, helping to maintain it uh to some degree uh and well i mean uh there, there are some other issues with uh, the online channel, uh, just because uh, you have uh, so many ways of spelling Balinese. So there isn't really, let's say, a standardized uh, orthography for Balinese, mm -hmm. even though it's sort of been dictated, like from schools, hardly anyone uses it. 
So for those who want to get into learning Balinese, it's a bit difficult right. uh, because um, you're taking a look at like these uh, sort of wide uh, variations in spelling, like representation. You're wondering, like, what does this mean? And after a while, uh, you know, so I've had, uh, let's say, a couple of decades worth of experience, uh, you know, with reading Balinese and uh, speaking Balinese. Uh, after a while, you get used to it, but it's still, I mean, yes, it's the native speakers who are using it this way, uh, but there's sort of like the pedagogical side of me that it still rubs me the wrong way. Interesting. That's a, that's a very interesting take on it. So um, having looked at the paper that we investigated today, what are the things that you're looking at right now and, and the things that you are wanting to research and publish in the future? Well, uh, right now, so I'm looking at uh, the Palawakia vocal genre, uh, which is a uh, sort of a performing arts genre that comes in two forms. So there's a dance and then there is the older uh, sort of like a recitation of old Javanese texts. So what happens in these uh, situations is that uh, you have um, someone who recites a line of old Javanese texts. Usually these are in the form of kakawin. Uh, and old Javanese, you have to sort of uh, realize is uh, sort of like it's the ancestral version of Javanese and it's very different. It's completely different uh, than what Java, uh, present day Javanese is now. Uh, so you have someone reciting these lines of old Javanese text, and then you have another person doing a paraphrase, so a paraphrase translation, interpretation of it into refined Balinese. And uh, it goes sort of back and forth. And um, the, the lines themselves, usually these are in forms of uh, four line, uh, four lines, uh, four lined uh, stanzas. And um, so the, the first, who is the Jurutanda, uh, that's the role's name. The Jurutanda will recite a line or part of a line of old Javanese text. And then it is up to the Juruarti to come to step in and to interpret uh, that line through paraphrasing into uh, refined uh, Balinese. Is this a form of performance art or purely linguistic? It could be a bit of both. So uh, there are particular clubs called uh, Babaosan clubs uh, that are dedicated uh, to this sort of thing, to the practice of Palawakia and other, uh, let's say, related uh, poetic forms. And so uh, what you have is uh, there are certain occasions like, um, well, uh, cremations and other, let's say, uh, temple ceremonies where you have to have one of these groups doing uh, this sort of uh, Palawakia uh, uh, sort of interpretation and paraphrase uh, during the course of the proceedings uh, of, uh, during these ceremonies. And so you'll have uh, like a group, usually these are old men, uh, like uh, middle-aged, uh, elderly men who are doing their thing in a corner of the room. And uh, so they're just sort of re reciting like lines of text, uh, old Javanese text, and then putting in uh, refined Balinese uh, paraphrasing, uh, paraphrases over that. Uh, so I'm taking a look at how are they taking sort of like the, this old Javanese text, which is obscure, Mm -hmm. to most Balinese. So uh, the only uh, Balinese who are really familiar uh, with it are scholars, scholars mm -hmm. of old Javanese. And, uh, and so these need to be paraphrased so that the um, larger public can access them 
So it's done for access, uh, but it's done in a very stylized way as well. Uh, so uh, yeah, so you have uh, this sort of, sometimes the extrapolation of these, uh, of this interpretation of this uh, paraphrase, mm. uh, sometimes it uh, brings uh, the interpreter into the, uh, into the frame. Uh, and then sometimes it brings the audience as well. So they could sort of like address it to the audience saying like, ring ida dane. Uh, so like to you all, to everyone who's present here. And that, may, that of course will not be part of the original text, uh, but it's just to further engage with the audience that they- And, and is there audience participation or is this- no, 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 no. So the audience is there just to observe uh, the proceedings, but it's the it's basically uh, let's say a rehearsed sort mm. of conversation between uh, the the reciter, the juru tanda, and then the juru arti, the interpreter. And uh, so this, uh, as I said before, this comes into two forms. So there is a dance called tari uh, palawatia, and uh, the dancer in this case is the reciter. And uh, there is a juru arti at, uh, at the side. Uh, so, he, uh, so he or she, the dancer, comes out, uh, does the dance. And in the middle of it, in the middle of the dance, he, will, uh, he or she will step down to an instrument called the trompon and then play sort of like a concerto uh, sort, uh, sort of like movement or, or section of the piece. Uh, so he or she will play the trompon and then start reciting the lines of uh, old Javanese poetry. And uh, the juru arati will respond back in kind with the paraphrase. So it, it's, it's really sort of interesting. And uh, you only have, let's say, a limited time there. Whereas in the, uh, let's say, the more Babao-san informed uh, contexts, um, you have... Uh, I mean, it's sort of worked out beforehand, but it could be, uh, I mean, is there anything as sort of like ad-libbed um, interpretations? Well, there are plenty of, let's say, conventions that one has to uh, go by when they do these paraphrases. Right. Uh, so uh, it's, not, it's not really ad-libbed in that manner but uh, they could sort of uh, uh, like ad lib in terms of, uh, let's say uh, pacing and so on. Uh, but it's pretty much, it pretty much depends on what they've worked out beforehand. And this is something that you, you probably have to experience in the room. It's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's live. So it's kind of like a, a lived linguistic performance. Yes. Yes, and you can think of it as sort of like a, a, an ex, exegesis. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you have one person sort of giving the original text and then the other person trying to paraphrase it to fit the present day context. So it's uh, sort of like uh, bringing sort of like the mythic past into the present. And, and uh, this is like their way of doing it. Well, it's and, a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very traditional, like when you, when you think about how language was performed in the past, where, how stage performances were put on, mm -hmm. it, it is very much in that tradition. Uh, yeah. The other thing about it is that it's old Japanese, so it's not old Balinese. So there, there is old Balinese, but old Balinese, uh, I believe, um, there are other performances, uh, other uh, performance genres that do rely more on old Balinese, like uh, Topeng, like the mass dance drama uh, that uh, sort of relies on it. Uh, but uh, for Palavakya, basically it's sort of bridging in between old Javanese. So uh, an older uh, version of the language from the neighboring island, from the right. island next door, uh, and then bridging that with uh, refined Balinese. I mean, it, it's it's really uh, uh, quite an interesting uh, sort of um, 
context. And yeah, like one of these days, you know, uh, and there are plenty of uh, clips uh, on YouTube now uh, that have these uh, like uh, Palawakia performances. However, uh, there are no English subtitles, so uh, you would really have to learn uh, refined Balinese in, in order to uh, really understand like how they've interpreted th these lines. And also, I assume for research purposes, you would prefer to be in the room to see it live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, that's also a thing. Uh, but uh, given the circumstances that we have now, uh, like YouTube's pretty good. So I have plenty of material to work with uh, for that. As all of us do, we, we hope and pray that we will be back in room researching as soon as possible. It's something that we're all looking forward to. Yes, I hope so too. Well, thank you very much for your time today, uh, Dr. Luna. The, the paper that we've been looking at was Language Contact in Virtual Spaces, the Kin Terms, Blee, Bro, and Boss and Balinese Online Discourse. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. It always is when I, when I speak to you, and I look forward to uh, having the chance to speak to you again in the future, hopefully in the same room next time. Okay, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.